Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's show. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, and you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. Have you ever had a birthday, a milestone birthday, where you looked around and you thought to yourself, huh, I thought I would be further along than this in my life. I thought I would have accomplished more by this milestone. Well, I think we all have had that experience. And my guests today um, have had it in spades. <laughs> We're going to be, the name of today's show is Not So Old Man and the Sea. You know the story by uh, the novel by Ernest Hemingway, Old Man and the Sea? Well, this is a not so old man and the sea. My guests are Michael and Sally Cosgrove. Um, they have lived this tale. When Michael turned 60, he decided that he wanted to, uh, that he looked back at his life and thought, even though he was incredibly successful, there was a childhood dream that he had never accomplished, and that was sailing around the world. And that's what he indeed started to do. And Sally had her own journey back home, and we will talk to them about that. Um, Michael wrote a book after after he survived um, called Imperfect Passage, A Sailing Story of Vision, Terror, and Redemption. So, Michael and Sally, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. Carroll. Thank well, you. Well, why don't we start... Um, why don't we start with the beginning? Um, actually, before we, before turning 60 or before having this epiphany at 60, at your 60th birthday uh, celebration, tell us about, um, Michael, and then uh, Sally, you can certainly add to this, uh, tell us about your life before that. I mean, it was no picnic. You had really um, built success one hard one rung at a time. So tell us about that. Well, um, it started, uh, I guess, in high school. I was dyslexic and had a very difficult time getting through school. When I graduated from high school, I could barely read or write. Hmm. But fortunately, I was a pretty good football player, and I had a scholarship to play football in college, and that got me got my foot in the door of college. But it took eight years to get the college degree, to get a bachelor's degree, Took another four years to get a master's degree, hmm. and uh, then working with a, or having a family, we uh, had four daughters and uh, raised those kids and got them through through uh, through college, and then paid for four weddings. And uh, hmm. on, on my sixtieth birthday, I, uh, it was time to open some presents, and I pulled my youngest grandson Alexander up on my lap. Well, wait, said, wait, wait! Before we get to Alexander, <laughs> all right. <laughs> we went for we skipped from college or grad school to uh, to your grandson. <laughs> um, to, how did you? What did you do with your life? You were living in Ypsilanti, Michigan at the time. You that's where you grew up. Well, yes, I grew up in Ypsilanti, suburb of Detroit, working class suburb. My parents uh, both worked in the in the automobile industry, putting Fords together, and. Uh, I started working when I was 12 years old, hmm. and uh, and if I needed a new pair of shoes, well, my dad said, you better get another job then, boy, because uh, they didn't have any money to help out, really. But it was okay. We had a very uh, healthy upbringing, uh, austere, but uh, 
it was okay. It wasn't bad at all. And then worked my way through college, um, playing football and working side jobs. Um, then I, <laughs> I worked in the field of psychotherapy for a number of years um, as a college counselor and doing some private practice in Colorado. So it, it was okay. Um, it wasn't that difficult. It was great reasons for kids. And so then, and and was that what was that what you did until you were sixty? The counseling, um, or was there something else? Uh, no, I, I I left that field and uh, when I was forty, made a major change, occupational change, and became a an insurance agent and owned my own insurance agency, and uh, still do, as a matter of fact. Now that's an interesting uh, career for someone who then risked it all. <laughs> I hope you had, I hope you had good insurance, good life insurance before you took off on this trip. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, okay. So now we can get so because because you're being kind of modest, Sally. Why don't you uh, put in uh, something here? Because I think Michael's being a little modest. Um, from what I understand, you he became you became you, you the family became quite successful. So why don't you add something? Well, Michael and I, we met in 1984, I think it was, and um, he was he was already on his way. He was the, he had been in the insurance business at the, by this time, and he was he was well on his way. Um, so really, I just got to jump in on on uh, on his success, you know, in a very nice lifestyle. That's, well, tell us a little bit about the lifestyle so we can contrast this with the sea. Okay. All right. So we, well, when we met, um, we both had our own places, and then later on we bought a home together, and then we sold that, and then we bought another beautiful home that in Laguna Beach that overlooked the ocean, and uh, it was really pretty. I, I love to go in and do remodeling and all that kind of stuff. So we bought this place and we did all this remodeling to it and turned it around and um, it was just beautiful and just about got it to the point where I thought it, everything was just wonderful and beautiful and that's when he turned 60 and all of a sudden. <laughs> okay, great. Now we have the setting. Okay, so Michael, take it from there. Well, that 60th birthday, everything came uh, crashing down. I put my youngest grandson, Alexander, up on my lap and had him help me open some presents. And the first present he opened were a dozen golf balls. And I said, Alexander, when you're 20, we're going to play a lot of golf together. And at that point, Dr. Carroll, it was as if a lightning bolt hit me. And that lightning bolt said, when Alexander's 20, you're going to be 82 years old. Now, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? You have 15, maybe 20 years of good life left. You better decide what you want to do with the rest of your life. Well, boy, it was difficult to sleep. It was uh, just obsessed with this fact that I was getting close to the end and I needed to do something special. It was an overwhelming feeling that I needed to leave a legacy for my grandchildren, that all my accomplishments up to that point really didn't mean anything. And I was just almost in a panic. I needed to do something. 
so my grandkids would uh, would respect their grandfather and be able to go to school and say, "Hey, my grandfather did something really special. Hmm. I needed something grand." And I've been sailing on and off most of my life, and uh, after looking at a number of alternatives or number of options, none that seemed to fit. Um, and a dream came back to me that I had had as a young man of wanting to sail around the world. But with uh, four daughters going to school and getting married, it was impossible. Maybe it was my time now. I decided that I was going to sail around the world, fulfill that 30-year-old dream. Um, there was just one little problem. I'd never really sailed out of sight of land before. The furthest I'd gone was out to Catalina Island and back. But I didn't think that would be a problem. I'd, I'd work it out as I went along. <laughs> so that's uh, that's how I went to sea, Dr. Carroll. Well, now, um, before, we, before we get into that trip any further, um, I'm going to want to ask Sally... Um, because how she reacted to your epiphany, um, and and apparently you had asked her, you wanted her to go with you. That was your first thought, right? Well, yeah, we were we were walking along the beach in Corona del Mar, watching the sunset in the ocean, and and I I wanted to share my epiphany with her, and I grabbed her by the hand, and I said, "Honey, I've got it. I've got the answer. Finally." We're going to sail around the world. And she looked at me and she said, What did you say, Sally? <laughs> I said, What? Are you crazy? I get seasick standing on the dock. There is no way I am going to take off and go sailing around the world and leave my job and my family and my home and all this stuff, you know, and... um it was just very frightening to think about going out there and, you know, I mean, looking at that ocean and thinking about sailing for days and days on end in a room about the size of a uh, picture being in the bedroom, a large bedroom with two people for 24 days, 24 hours straight. There was just no way. No well, television. How, 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 no, how long did it no take you? No, no TV, you know, no malls. I, I couldn't do it. Uh-huh. Well, wait, let me, um, how long did it finally take you? And we'll, we'll get to the details of that, but just so we have an idea, how long did it take you from when you left to when you got home? It was uh, the better part of three years on and off. Wow. Years. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I had no idea we were talking about. I mean, I don't know how long it takes to sail around the world, but wow. Okay. Um, so, Sally... Um, so, so I guess you knew that when he told you that. Did you have some idea he was talking about a three-year project? I didn't realize. Well, I knew that it was going to take some time, but I didn't realize that it was going to be a three-year deal. Um, because of the winters and the summers being different, you know, he would take his boat and he would dry dock it or, or leave it somewhere. And... Um, in a, you know, in one of these countries. Then he would come back to the States and he would stay for a while and, and then he would go back. And each time he came back, I always thought that he was going to be staying back. I really didn't think hmm. that he was going 
continue on, especially after the, between the, you know, from the first trip when he went to Hawaii. I just, I didn't think that he was going to continue after that. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, we'll, uh, we'll hear more about this when we come back. We're talking with my guests, Michael and Sally Cosgrove. The book is called Imperfect Passage, A Sailing Story of Vision, Terror, and Redemption. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, and we'll be right back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat show with Dr. Pat Basile, radio to thrive by. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talking today with a, with a not-so-old man and the sea. <laughs> My guests are Michael and Sally Cosgrove. Their book is Imperfect Passage, A Sailing Story of Vision, Terror, and Redemption. And um, we're, we're just at the point where Michael is about to... Uh, he had this great epiphany at his 60th birthday that he wanted to do something... Uh, well, what I think is so fascinating is that you wanted to do something that was a childhood dream... And um, and that after you know uh, going to school and having getting married and having a family and having four daughters as you were saying who uh, for whom you had to provide college and a wedding and so on and a wife of course um, that that finally at sixty it it hit you that um, you were facing your own mortality and it hit you that you wanted to do something for you something more for you something grander. That you then you had been doing, and of course, as we were talking about, you you were very successful, but that wasn't enough. So, Sally, take us from um, the beach where Michael is 
telling you that, you know, he's had this epiphany, this is what he wants to do, and, and you went through a voyage of your own in terms of all different emotions. Yes, I did. I, um, the first, I think, in, you know, in the beginning, I, I just laughed, and I, I didn't believe that he was going to do this. I thought it was just something that, you know, feeling or something that would pass. And then as he started searching, he started searching immediately for a boat, and he was having a little bit of trouble finding one, and I'm still in disbelief thinking he's going to come to his senses. And then uh, then he found the boat, and then all of a sudden I realized, yes, he is definitely going to do this. And as time went on, um, there became anger because I was... Um, well, I was hurt, and even though he had asked me to go along with him, um, the fact that he was going to go ahead and still really do this, it, it just really hurt me. It just kind of hurt my feelings. And so then I became angry. We had to put the house up for sale. That meant that, you know, I had to go out and find a new place to live um, and pack the did, house did up. Did you have to put the house up for sale because you needed some of that money for to to finance his long voyage? Well, part of that, and, and partly because there was no way I could live in that big house by myself, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to live in that big house by myself. I, I was kind of getting to the point now thinking, all right, I'm, I'm going to have to go on with my life. He's going to go do his thing, and I'm going to go do mine. Mm-hmm. So we put the house up for sale. We sold it. Fortunately, we sold it very quickly and um, packed everything up, and I moved. You know, I moved into another city in another place, and he took off and, and went. I was a little, I was very sad because I felt like our relationship had failed. And and then I was also very worried. I mean, the day that he started, you know, that he actually left, I became very emotional um, because I was scared. I was scared that he was never going to come back or something bad was going to happen to him. So, Michael, did you realize that you were sort of risking your marriage? I mean, what if you were out out on the sea and she met somebody else or she just kind of got uh, annoyed that you had abandoned her or something? What did you think about that? To be very truthful with you, Doctor, after our seven-year relationship and in remodeling this house, I don't know if if you've remodeled the house or not, but it's really a test of a relationship. Yes, it is. Lots of divorces happen after people buy a new house or build a house or remodel a house, yes. Yeah, the laughter stopped, and we we would argue over what color the drapes should be. And I had reached a point of, of ambivalence in our relationship. Yes, I loved Sally. I wanted her to go with me, but if she didn't go, it was okay with me. If she wasn't there when I came back, I'd be sad. But it was more important for me to develop a legacy, to do something grand at this point in my life, to to deal with my three-quarter life crisis, if you will, than to stay home and try to patch up this relationship. Mm-hmm. So, um, <laughs> so we left in a state of ambivalence. That must have been really tough for both of you. Well, as as I was leaving San Diego, 
it really hit me that last night on shore, actually. I'll back up a little bit. Um, Sally came down with our dog, Sedona, our beautiful golden retriever, and we had a, had a wonderful evening together, a, a very special dinner with wine, and it was romantic at that point. And we had a shared a romantic evening in, in a long time, so it was a very special evening. And uh, I'd left San Diego, and I called her on my cell phone to say goodbye one last time and tell her that I loved her. And the call disconnected. We wow. lost cell tower contact as I was about two miles out into the ocean. I was mm. so upset, I threw, I threw the damn cell phone in the ocean. Mm. Wow. <laughs> then you realized, oops. <laughs> that was, that, yes, that was kind of the beginning. That was the first time. Um, the story, some, some people that have read this book, women, have said that it's a love story more than a sailing story mm. because it, it, it involves so much of our relationship. And uh, so it, it's, it's very interesting for, from that aspect also. Okay, so tell us about, um, now apparently there was early on in this trip, well, before I get into that, did, I, I was, I'm calling this show Not So Old Man in the Sea, and we all know yeah. the classic by Ernest Hemingway. When had, I presume you read that at some time in your life before you took off? Oh, yeah, I read that as a young man. I, re- I probably read it the first time in college. And uh, as a matter of fact, we right now, our summer home is... Uh, five miles from Ernest Hemingway's summer home on Walloon Lake here in Michigan. Hmm. So <laughs> was yeah, that... I read that. I know, I know the story very well, yes. So, you know, it's interesting because probably when you read that in college, you couldn't, I mean, apparently it really, you know, uh, was very a romantic idea for you, but you probably didn't imagine yourself being an old man and the sea. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I mean, I, I would imagine that contributed to, um, I mean, being in his place. It must have seemed so far away, and obviously 60 is not an old man, but what I'm saying is um, it probably was hard to, I mean, in some ways you could relate, and that presumably contributed to your dream of, of sailing around the world, but also in an, wasn't it sort of strange to, did you think about that, that it was kind of strange to be able to, fit more into his character now? Not in the beginning. Not until I, I had a, a, a life-threatening situation at sea. Well, tell Not us about until that. I was in, well, the first one was a crewmate that I took on board because I, I didn't think that I had enough skill to, to make the first leg of the trip from San Diego to you know, Hawaii by myself. So I took a guy on that I just found in a sailing magazine that I didn't really know. And this guy turned out to have a personality disorder. And uh, about 800 miles from shore, he said, he's a big guy, too, about 6'2", 240. And I'm just 5'8". I'm a little guy. And he looked at me and he said, do you know why I picked your boat to sail on, to crew on? Hmm. I said, no, I don't. He said, because you're alone. And this is a beautiful ocean-going boat. I deserve this boat more than you do. This ought to be my boat. Oh, my God. And, and that was the first red flag. This guy wanted to hit oh. me over the head with a winch handle and drop me overboard. 
So <laughs> I went from from helping people with problems to trying to save my own life from this crazy guy. On psych- <laughs> Bordered on psychotic lunatic that, yeah. uh, that I spent 23 days with at sea, and you know the 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 first um, real oh it wasn't an epiphany but the real the first time I really realized that I was in trouble was uh, about a thousand miles out out to sea. I. I realized I had lost all control, all psychological control. All I couldn't control my environment anymore. When we're on shore, if we're warm, we turn on the air conditioning. If we don't like the music, we change the station. If we're hungry, we eat. If we're tired, we lay down and go to sleep. And when you're on a boat in the middle of the ocean, your life, you don't have those cho- those choices anymore. You're mm-hmm. like, you're your your environment dictates how you live your life. It dictates how fast you go, the direction you go, when you eat, when you sleep. And here I was, um, having my own psychological crisis with a guy that wanted to kill me. So wow. I felt like I was a prisoner in solitary confinement with my executioner. Wow. So you had to do some quick crisis intervention and use the skills that you that you used to use. I needed you on board to help me. <laughs> well, well. So how did you do it? I put him on the couch, so to speak, yeah. and I tried to convince him that his life would be better if he earned his own boat. It was a marathon psychotherapy session. Wow. I worked with him every day. I slept with a flare gun in my pocket. I I uh, slept with one eye opened. I was fearful every day that he was going to dump me overboard. Um, but I just tried to talk him through it. I wanted him to see that I was his friend and the one that wanted to help him. Hmm. And uh, so that's how that worked out. Wow, that was sort of an unexpected uh, challenge to this uh, when you set off, not what you were expecting. Okay, and so you started um, talking about this that when your life was in danger, that was when you were start when you were feeling when you could relate more to Ernest Hemingway's character. Most definitely, yes. Not knowing um, if I was going to get through this this situation or not, and uh, having to draw from deep inside and find the courage and the strength to do the best I could hour by hour. So t- give, tell us another about another thrilling moment or another life-endangering moment. I mean, I guess in a sense it was all life-endangering, but the most, uh, yeah. the scariest moments. Um, I was by myself on my boat sailing between New Caledonia headed to uh, Australia, and I hit a storm, a big storm. It blew 64 miles an hour, 24-foot seas. It uh, broke my boat in a number of places. Most significantly, I lost the autopilot, uh, and a remote autopilot hydraulic piece of machinery that steers the boat 
so it frees me up so I can go down below and fix something to eat or I can look at the charts and do the navigation. Um, it, it just was dysfunctional as a result of the storm. I didn't know if the, if the rudder had come, come loose off of the, uh, the pin that holds it. So I was forced to go overboard, um, in the water to check the rudder to see if it was loose to make certain I wasn't going to lose my rudder and all steering capability at that point. And that was kind of scary. Um, I was only three miles from land at that point, but it was straight down at the bottom of the ocean. Uh. Um, I was actually about 800 miles from any body of, of land. Um, so I had to steer the boat. Um, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, through one storm after another that blew up from the Tasman Sea. And uh, I reached a point of, of uh, hallucinating. Um, yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. What, what were you hallucinating? Sleep deprivation is a killer. You know, it, it, it affects every system in one's body. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh, and I was steering the, the boat one night, and I looked up on the, the, towards the front of the boat, and I saw an old lady leaning against the mast with a big hat on and a pipe in her mouth. And, and uh, she, she seemed very real to me at that point, so real that I asked her if she would mind coming back and steering the boat, giving me a little break. Mm-hmm. Uh, I said, if you're going to ride on my boat, you have to work also. I, I had a conversation with her, but she, she looked at me like she uh, didn't hear me or didn't understand me. I uh, saw ships, large commercial ships, right off the bow of my boat. I could see the red and green navigational lights coming right at me. I'd swing the helm over, swing the wheel to change directions, and they'd be gone. Um, in the storms, I would wear a, south, a yellow sou'wester hat with a big brim on it. I could hear voices in that hat. Uh, take the hat off, and the voices would go away. What were the voices? And what were the voices telling you? I, they weren't talking to me. It was like I was listening to a, a conversation. telephone conversation. Mm-hmm. Yes, they weren't actually talking to me, and I, I didn't. Talk you know that's one them. of the signs of schizophrenia, right? Oh, no. <laughs> when, I didn't know that. When the talk oh. to each other and you're listening to the conversation. I mean, I'm not, obviously you, weren't, having, you weren't, weren't suddenly developing schizophrenia, but, yes, you know, it relates to the sleep deprivation. But, um, yes, that's one of the, one of the typical symptoms. Um, but, but, you know, the old lady uh, leaning against the mask, that, that, psychologically, and, uh, of course, you probably know this from i mean I, were you i don't know were you trying to um as as these things were happening i mean i know they felt really real but later on as you were think reflecting on them like for example to me uh the old lady leaning against the mast with a pipe seems like a, a combination of your mother and father like you know almost a wish to manifest them a wish that they would be there to help you well, I didn't think about that. It would have been really scary if I had, I think. <laughs> I, uh, she looked more like a, some kind of Peruvian Indian um, uh-huh. lady. Now, that's but, no, the, the, uh, 
Oh, no, I didn't want my parents out there or any representation of them. <laughs> that wouldn't have been too helpful, you mean? <laughs> no, it wasn't. You know, Doctor, when it when the when the storm started to blow through, the first couple of days, I said, uh, I've always tried to to know the difference difference between a real problem and a temporary inconvenience. Mm-hmm. At first, I said, this is just a temporary inconvenience. I'll steer the boat myself in seven days. I'll be on shore in Australia, no problem. Then, as it got a little bit harder with the storms and no sleep and not eating and very difficult to leave the the helm for any more than three or four minutes at a time. I'd sleep maybe 15 minutes at a crack when the storms died down. It went from being a temporary inconvenience to to realizing that it was a real problem on about the fifth day when I was hallucinating and not being able to really maintain control of my faculty, so to speak. But I said, I'll get through the next hour, and then pretty soon I was getting through the next minute. Mm. Well, on the, on the sixth night, I said, just get through the next moment. It mm. literally got down to moment to moment, just get me through the next moment. And I, I didn't think I was going to see the sun come up the next day. I hadn't been to church for 30 years, hadn't prayed in 30 years. Well, at that moment, I started rattling off Hail Marys and Our Fathers like I was an altar boy. Hmm. Yes, isn't that uh, what happens to all of us uh, in those moments? Um, boy, that, that that's really interesting. You know, that, that that's interesting that you said that it looked like a Peru. Um, you know, as I'm a, I'm psychoanalytically oriented, so of course I'm gonna. Catch on to or hook on to. Um, so it's like a dream. The hallucinations, you know, need to be interpreted. Um, I mean, well, have you have you since then uh, come up with your own interpretations? I shouldn't be imposing mine on on you until I ask you if you um, what you made of that since no. then. You haven't when, really. When, when well, when I when I got to shore, when I reached Australia and was able to walk on dry land, alive and well, it felt like a combination of Christmas and my birthday when I was a kid. The relief, the joy. I got down on my knees and kissed the grass. I was so happy to be alive, so happy to be on dry land. When I tried to write the book, when I started to write the book after returning from the voyage, I couldn't do it, Dr. Carroll. Right now, my face is hot. I can feel my heart racing. Hmm. Um, there are aspects of post-traumatic distress. Stress disorder. And even, mm-hmm. and even talking about it. I couldn't write the book. I couldn't go there again. And when I finally wrote it four years ago, it's still, it's still there. It's very difficult to go back there. Yes, I would imagine. I mean, it's true. You would have uh, PTSD from having these life-threatening experiences. Absolutely. Well, um, do you, getting back to the Peruvian woman, I mean, <clears throat> do you, um, were, before this trip, were you familiar with um, 
like um, shamans and all that, you know, Peruvian shamans? I mean, any kind no, of shaman? Not, not at all. I'd seen pictures of them, maybe seen them in movies or on TV or something of that sort, but I hadn't hadn't read about them or studied about them or seen one in person. Hmm. I mean, it's interesting. It, it kind of makes you think that maybe that was some kind of a spirit or some kind of a... Um, or at least that that somehow in your unconscious or the collective unconscious, you had brought that up. Um, I don't know. It's just really interesting. I actually uh, spent uh, the the um, millennium two weeks in the Amazon uh, <laughs> jungle, uh, convening with four shamans. So that that, that particularly, mm-hmm. you know, um, where they would bring in their spirits and so on, not their spirits, mm-hmm. spirits from the from the universe, you know. Um, so that's why I'm finding this also particularly interesting. Well, wow, um, Sally. When when we we're about to take a break, but um, when we come back, I'd like to know how this, what this was like for you. Each of the times that he would come back during these three years, I know you said that you didn't think he was going to go out again, but um, oh. as he was telling you these different uh, scary stories that happened to him, I mean, how did what was that like for you? Oh, I would just, I mean, I just couldn't believe it and yet that these things were happening and then I would tell him, you know, like, come home, just come home. You don't have anything to prove and, um, you know, what you've done is is way more, in a, you know, and above anything most people have ever done in their life. And he would just, uh, he would come back home and and then all of a sudden, Something would happen. He would start thinking about things, and like I've got to go back and I've got to do it again. And so, kind of towards the end, you know, I started getting like, you know, well, whatever. You just you got to do what you got to do. And and um, uh, I don't know. I just didn't. I I didn't understand it. But um, well, yes. Um, actually, the statistics are pretty amazing. Fewer than two hundred and fifty people have sailed solo around the world. And to compare that with something, over 300 climbed Mount Everest just last year. So this really was quite a spectacular feat. We'll hear more about it, the not-so-old man and the sea and his wife. When we come back, Michael and Sally Cosgrove are my guests. The book is Imperfect Passage, a sailing story of vision, terror, and redemption. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com 
We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking about not-so-old man and the sea, talking with the old not-so-old man and the sea and his not-so-old <laughs> not wife. Um, and, you know, I hope, I just wanted to tell you all, my, my listeners, um, I hope that what you're getting out of this, besides, of course, this fascinating story, and, of course, uh, makes us all want to read the book, um, because, obviously, this is only some of the highlights, but um, what I hope you're all getting from this is how it's never too late to realize your dreams. And you should never give up on your dreams, whether it is something as fantastic or seemingly uh, unrealistic as sailing around the world, or whether it's something, I mean, it could be something else that's, that's not quite as physically daunting, but uh, could be daunting for you because of something in your life. Whatever, it doesn't matter what it is. But the, the important thing is, to not give up the dreams that you have if there's something that you still want to do and life got in the way before your life is over you have to make sure that you do it you have to if you want to call it a bucket list whatever you want to call it or or you know just a one one item bucket list what however you want to um you need to start thinking what is the most important thing if you knew you were going to die tomorrow um or next year what would be the most important thing that you would want to accomplish? Obviously not tomorrow. That wouldn't give you very much time. But, I mean, in a year, let's say. What is it that you would want to accomplish in that year in your life? I mean, we don't, you know, for all the talk of, uh, of past lives and so on, none of that is guaranteed. That may or may not be the case. And in the meantime, while you have this life, you need to make sure that you are living the, the dream um, that is most important to you because it would really be sad if um, you were on your deathbed and looked back and saw that, you know, all you did was be a good, bro- good boy and girl or girl and, um, and you went to work nine to five and, and you know, you did the things, the, the traditional kinds of things to do and you sort of left these dreams behind at some point. And um, it's just this is it's just super super important because what else? I mean, what else is the point of your life? I'm not saying this is the only thing, but certainly we want we want to accomplish the one thing that was the most important to us. And, and no one is supposed to judge you. Whatever your one thing is, um, that's okay. It's the fact that you accomplished it. That's the point. So. <laughs> I digress, but I just wanted to make sure that people were listening to this, and this is the most important thing that I think. Of course, all of these specific details are, are really interesting and fascinating, and you had a lot of courage, both of you did, actually, for surviving this. Um, 
but it's also an inspirational story to get other people to to follow whatever their dreams were and to not lose sight of that and to not think that they're too old uh, to accomplish it. Okay. Let me share with you one of my favorite quotes. What? Man is not old until his regrets. Wait, somehow I, I... Could you speak up a little louder? Yes, I'm sorry. Dr. Carroll, one of my favorite quotes that I use in the book is, Man is not old until dreams, until regrets replace his dreams. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah. Well, and yeah. I think I think an audience that's going to be interested in this book are the baby boom, baby boomers that are turning sixty, because man or woman, men or women, are going to be faced with those same three quarter life crisis and having to deal with the fact that uh, they've lived more years than they have left. Yes. Well, so. Um I want to make sure that we, of course, there are some more adventures to talk about, but I want to make sure that we get in um, what things were like when you came back. I mean, how, how, well, first of all, how much time would you spend in bet- during these three years when you would come back home in between some of the st- stops? Um, okay. How long would you spend at home, and, and how did your relationship progress during these three years? Okay, the, the first passage, the first trip was 23 days from San Diego to Hilo, Hawaii. When I got off that boat and got rid of this crazy guy, put him on an airplane and sent him back home, um, I had to clean up the boat and I had asked some people at the marina to keep an eye on it and I went back to California. I wanted to find the delivery boat captain to bring the boat back to San Diego. I wanted to sell the boat. When I walked away from it, I said, I would rather be blind, crippled, and crazy than to get back on that damn boat again. Mm. I, I didn't want anything to do with it. Mm. Well, when I got back, I started to uh, feel better. The seasickness was gone. The fear of this guy was gone. And I had to put myself on the couch at that point and say, it's a, do you want to be 82 years old sitting in your lazy boy chair and be regretful that you didn't continue this voyage. And I, I couldn't quit on myself. After two weeks, I, I decided I have to go back. I have to continue this. And every passage between each island, each country, it was just, uh, it was very difficult. And I, I wanted to quit a lot of times. I wanted to come home. I, I realized that Sally was so important to me that my love for her was so strong that it was a mistake to be gone. Um, I realized that I wasn't going to leave a legacy for my grandchildren by being away from them at important times in their lives. Mm -hmm. I was going to miss miss their their Saturday morning soccer game, that I wouldn't be there for their birthday. Mm -hmm. So the realization that a true legacy has to be made with those people you love, not away from them. Yes. So, so, and that that was quite a revelation, also. Okay, but you kept on going. Well, yes, I kept on going <laughs> until it 
got to a point where I uh, I don't want to ruin the the end of the book, but uh, yeah, I did come home at, at finally and and uh, said that's enough. That <laughs> the, the love of the love of my family, the love of Sally, is more important to me than sailing to the next country. Mm. Oh well, that's a wonderful lesson. One one Sally, I'm sure you're glad that he uh, discovered. Although it might might have been nice if he discovered it two and a half years later rather than three. But but how was it for you at the end? I mean, when he finally said okay, and had this realization, what was that like? Well, I was very happy. I was very happy, and I was very relieved. I was happy that he was coming home finally, and that he had come to his senses, <laughs> and that he wouldn't be in you know harm's way any longer. Um, then he came home and. Um, I don't know. Then we just, you know, everything's been really good ever since then. You appreciate each other a little more. Oh, much more. Yeah. 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 When you when you when you're away from someone that you love, and you're facing death, you you realize how important it is to be with that person you love, the family you love. That it it's it's not worth it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, tell people where they can, first of all, where they can find the book, but also um, I watched the fabulous video that you have up on YouTube, so tell people how they can find that, too. Sure. The book is available through uh, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, um, or your independent bookseller. I really like the independent bookstores myself. Mm-hmm. We, we, we have it available on our website michaelcosgrove.com or imperfectpassage.com. And, Dr. Carroll, did you get the, the dual meaning of the title of the book? Well, oh, passage? yes, I wanted to ask you about that. Yes, the, the, the great yeah. pun, like obviously Imperfect Passage in terms of the sailing, but also uh, a passage of life, right? Exactly, yes. Life, we don't have a perfect passage in life, and we have to overcome a lot of obstacles, and, and uh, maybe I can can help the audience learn a couple of things about how to get through those difficult storms. Yes, absolutely. So that was michaelcosgrove.com, which is C-O-S-G-R-O-V-E, michaelcosgrove.com, and imperfectpassage.com. And um, Sally, do you have anything uh, that you'd like to tell us before we, before we, the end of the show? I'm just... The only thing I want to say is I'm so thankful that he got home safely, and then it took him such a long time before he could even write the book, but he has written the book. Now it's out. It, it's really entertaining um, and scary and informative, and very proud of him did for his you, accomplishments. During this time, did you, you had said earlier in the show that, that it made you think about um, like what you were going to do. Did you do something that you had some childhood dream or some uh, something in your life that you had wanted to do? Did you take this time to do something for you? No, I had a job that I loved, uh, a greatest boss, and a, and a job that I loved, and I was very happy and contented. Plus, then my son, he had gotten married and, and started having babies, and so I became a grandma, and and. That's been the biggest joy in my life. There, I've, I've had no um, dreams other than 
to just be happy with, you know, be with my grandkids. Uh-huh. You were content with, you were already um, content with, with your life. And, and uh, <laughs> I guess, yes. and I guess it was, uh, did, when people, when you would talk to people about what your husband is doing, um, did you get sort of strange reactions? Oh, yeah. Everybody would just look at me and their eyes would get wide open and like, what are they, and then what are you doing here? And I mean, what? <laughs> it was, it was fun, but you know, I mean, it was fun because, I mean, he would, once he got the satellite telephone and he would call me every night, you know, or, or he had a computer on, on board so he could send me emails in the beginning. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, every night, every day, I'd go back to work and I'd have a tale or, you know, something <laughs> to tell, tell everyone. So you were sharing That's it, not... in a sense. Right. <laughs> you Plus were sharing this. Also, there's... Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, there's there's also um, a, uh, a... Oh, gosh. They can track your boat on the, on the uh, computer. Oh, GPS, um, yeah. Yes, and so everybody, you know, everybody would, you know, track his, you know, they could see where his boat had much, you know, how much it had sailed each day, and they could track it on this, uh, on this uh, website or this uh-huh. website, I guess. Uh-huh. Oh, well, so that was, was really fun. That was fun. Yes. Well, again, I want to give out um, the websites: michaelcosgrove.com and perfectpassage.com, and the book is. Um, can be found wherever books are sold. And yes, I agree with you. We should support independent bookstores. Imperfect Passage, A Sailing Story of Vision, Terror, and Redemption. Well, thank you very much, Michael and Sally Cosgrove. This is a great, great story and a great inspiration. And thank you all for listening. And I, I hope you'll, when it comes to be your birthday the next time, you don't have to wait to 60 or if you're past 60, you can still, there's still, there's still life left. There's still uh, time to, well, there's still time to follow your dream, but every day is precious, and no matter what age you are, you're not, uh, the next day is not guaranteed. So I would suggest making plans now for what you're going to do to, uh, to scratch that itch, the thing that's been, that you've been carrying around for years, that you always wanted to do and have been putting off for tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. So thank you all for listening. I'm glad you didn't put off listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. And I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 